Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In the fall of 2010, a single kinder travels to the Twin Cities of Minnesota to answer the call of an elder of his clan. Join us as Marco Giovanni is pulled by family loyalty into a strange territory in which he is forced to strengthen his family's influence, yet at the same time avoid destroying himself with his own dark desires. Hello, and welcome to Twin Cities by Night Eidolon. Twin Cities by Night Eidolon is a Vampire the Masquerade duet story with Adam playing Marco Giovanni and Chris as the storyteller. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook, where you can find up-to-date news and a link to our Discord. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. The plane has landed. The door of this high-end private jet opens up and steps go down. You feel autumn breeze gently come into the plane as Jamie starts walking down the steps first. She has put on a black, almost like peacoat waist length jacket to go over her suit jacket. And you see that she's holding her planner close to her chest as she walks down with one hand or her left hand grabbing the railing. As you get to the open, you see that there is a gray BMW that is about a hundred feet away from where the steps go down on the tarmac. You can see off in the distance, the normal commercial airline area where there are jets that are slowly backing up for takeoff. You can hear the sounds coming from that direction. But where you're at now in the private hangar is kind of a little eerie. But you see Jamie unzip her plan as she hands some gentleman in a suit who you assume works for the airline some paperwork. And he looks at it and he nods and he turns around and walks off as he straightens out his tide as the wind kind of like picks it up a little bit to go back inside the warmth of his office. And you see Jamie opens up the back of the BMW and she just patiently looks at you as she awaits for you to go inside. I step in. What time of year is it? It's like late September, mid to late September. It's about a month after the events of Dread. So you can definitely feel the snap of fall in the air here, especially in the northern United States. It's a lot different than where you're at in Boston. While they both are north, you know, you don't smell the sea quite as much sometimes in the air. There's almost like this desolate message that is carried by the wind as it's pushed through here, where in Boston there's history and there's life in the ocean that you can smell. Here it's just the environment that you feel in the wind, knowing that countless people have probably died before there was civilization here trying to traverse this area. And now somehow the power of man and the ingenuity of the human race have made it to where there's a bustling city now in the middle of this area, which soon will be stark and arctic. But still, Jamie stands there waiting for you to come in to the car. I step in and sit sit down in the back seat of the car. I'm starting to feel the uneasiness of not being in my own city. And although I was nervous to meet with Rita, I feel like the sooner I talk to my own people, the better, because I'm starting to feel like a stranger in a strange land right now. It's not very often that I leave Boston. And when I am in Boston, I 
feel like that city is very much mine. I'm welcome there and I don't have anything to worry about there. And this is just a whole new place. And I know that I have family members here and I know that there's family friends, I should say here, but still I've never been here and this is all just so strange. And even the smells are different. And all I have with me is Jamie. Yeah, it's a predicament that you're in. And you see this male figure is in the front driver's seat. He's just wearing, you see a suit jacket and you can kind of see he's a Caucasian male. You see he has blonde hair. He looks slender uh, slightly, but not really imposing. Seems almost like the type of people who know how to blend in, meaning not to be noticed, not to be seen, and just to kind of serve. You've seen people like this throughout your whole life or almost the whole, you know, the whole of your life. You see in the center mount, there is a digital clock and it says it's around 8.30ish right now in the evening. You see Jamie looking at you. You can tell she kind of feels tense like you feel right now at this moment, but she does. She kind of doesn't show it, but you can just have this moment of connection where you kind of both look at each other. And then she opens up her planner again and she's like, I have found you an apartment to stay at that I think meets all your requirements. There's also a car that I've bought for you. I have it under my name. None of it's under your name. But tonight, I think that you are probably going to be busy with Rita, or at least that's what her representatives tell me, to mark off your calendar. So then she hands you a printout again, and she's like, this is the address to your apartment here. And she's like, it's in downtown Minneapolis. And then she goes into the pocket of her jacket, and she pulls out, and she hands you keys to a car, and you see a Cadillac symbol on there. And she's like, your apartment comes with a garage. You can find it there. Also within the car, I have a firearm license under my name and I have cash, an envelope. I have $2,000 that are in the glove compartment in an envelope. I'll be staying in the apartment next to you in case that you need to find me. And then she pulls out another thing out of phone. She's like, this is a Blackberry here that where you can reach at. It's not your normal number. So I thought it'd be best for you to use if you felt like you had to use it here or in case of an emergency. And I'm hearing her out. i take the blackberry from her and i put it into my jacket pocket i take the keys and i kind of slide them into my pants pocket and i'm liking the plan sounds like she's covered all the bases she said that the apartment's going to meet all my requirements and i trust that she knows what they are because we know each other on that level so i'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable as she explains the plan and she's going to be close by and as much as he doesn't want to admit that he needs that. He feels a tremendous amount of comfort just knowing that she will be near him. And like out of character, it's this weird power thing. Like he takes comfort in knowing that this person he has control over will be close by to him. But in his head, he's just like, me and her will be close. And that's why this is good. He says, my number is programmed into the phone there in case you need to reach me. And the car starts taking off and she just sits there quietly and she looks out the window. This car leaves eventually the airport area. Like you see where it's following the exit signs. You can see ongoing traffic as people are getting off to the different airlines or to drop relatives off. And soon you leave the bustling area of this airport and you start making your way into what you assume is downtown Minneapolis because you start seeing signs about Minneapolis. You're driving along on the highway this car rides smoothly. It cuts through traffic like butter. It's not driving too fast, but it's definitely driving 
to get you to your destination in a timely manner, but and also in the most comfortable type of manner that it can. But slowly you, you, you realize that you are getting to the outskirts of Minneapolis and you get off to an exit and you start driving through areas where there seems to be some type of wilderness, not like in the middle of a prairie, but meaning there's parks or there starts being houses with larger lawns. And then you start noticing the houses get larger and the lawns and the space between them get larger. And this reminds you a little bit of Boston area a little bit. And then soon you come upon where there's a house that you can tell is in front of a large lake. This house looks to be old, maybe a century. It's made with brick, but you can see that it has almost like a Greco feel to it with columns that are in the front. You see that there's a fence that goes around it, a cast iron fence, and there's bushes that go behind that fence to give some privacy. So from what you see from the house along the road is just the top third of the house, which are large windows. You see a roof that comes along it that, and a chimney, and you see smoke that's gently coming out of the chimney. You can smell the smell of burning leaves, like someone is maybe burning leaves in another lawn, and it seems to almost set the mood in this area, this quiet tranquility that resides there. The driver drives up to the gate, and you see Jamie open up the door, and she closes it behind her, and she goes up to the gate, and you see there's a button that she pushes, and you see her lips moving, and you assume that she's communicating. She goes back to the door. She came out of the car, opens it, closes it, and she says to the driver up front, she's like, the gates will open. Please drive forward when they do. And slowly you see the gates start opening within. They don't go outward. They go inward. And you see before you uh, pebble road to drive into. And as the car slowly starts driving, you can hear the rocks hitting the wheel well underneath the car. And you can hear the crunch of the tires as it slowly goes over. And you look to the left and the right and you see a large lawn, something that you're really kind of used to. And you can kind of see it from like your upper right direction, your northeast direction. You can see the lake that is behind the house and you can see like a little dock. And as you keep driving forward, you can see that the pathway leads to along that same direction. But there's a large garage there that looks like it could fit like four or five cars there. But you see that the car stops there. And when you look to the left, you see that there is a sidewalk that goes along the front of the house that leads, that turns to a 90 degree angle, goes to the front door. And you see that there's bushes that are along this lower two thirds that you didn't see before because of the gate and the bushes there. And you see the bushes are kind of like go along the brick. So it's like bushes. And then you see some of the brick you know, that goes up to like the second, the third level there. And you see a large picture window that is kind of like a little obscured a little bit from one of the bushes there, like to, to promote privacy. And Jamie gets out of the vehicle and she leaves the door open. Like she's waiting for you to come out also. I hop out and I follow a little bit behind Jamie. Marco has this mindset of Jamie will take care of it. And that's kind of the way he does things a little bit. Jamie will make the introductions. Jamie will get things taken care of for me. Meanwhile, Marco is trying to center himself. In his head, he's thinking, okay, I have to turn on the charm now. I have to hide any evidence that I could be even the slightest bit uncomfortable. Before he was embraced, he was kind of a sociopath. He was good at playing people. He was good at pretending to feel something he wasn't feeling. 
And right now he's trying to turn that on. He's trying to display a sense of confidence as he goes in here, display a sense of purpose. Like it wasn't a waste of time to call him down here. And he's just trying to turn it all on. Jamie turns and speaks to the driver who rolls down his window. And you see she puts her hand through the window and you assume she's tipping the driver. And you see him driving off. And Jamie walks up back up next to you. And she's like, Regis people told me they provide us transportation once we are done here or once you are done with her for the evening. And she walks forward a couple feet ahead of you and goes and rings the doorbell on this door. As you look at this door, you see that it's this huge, intricate wooden door that has in the middle of it like a stripe of stained glass, almost like a church. But there's no pattern, but it's just random colors to where you can kind of make out that there are lights that are inside this house. There are these old black gas lanterns that are attached to the brick on each side of this door. There's light that is coming from them. At one time, maybe they were gas, but now you can kind of tell there's like little light bulbs that are there. And you see the number like 1601 and like these very delicate iron address placements that that you actually don't see in most modern homes now, but it's still like, you know, drilled into the brick there above the door. Eventually you see a shape after she rings the doorbell, like coming, because you can see through the stained glass. You can't tell what the shape is or anything like that, but it goes from seeing like bright light to like seeing a form that's walking towards the door. And eventually the door opens up. You see that there's a lady standing there and she seems to be wearing a maid's outfit, but like, it's not like the old school maid's outfit that you've seen, but it's definitely one of someone who is paid to keep a house clean where before it used to be, you know, especially maybe when you were growing up, it used to be like, you know, the black dress with like the white, like kind of striped down the, the top. But now you see that there's actually a lady in there who's wearing like blue slacks and she has like a blue kind of like polo shirt on with that has a white collar and like white that goes around the end of the sleeves. And it has like a cursive name on there and it says like Isabel on the name there, you know, and uh, you hear Jamie go, we have been expected. And she's like, oh, yes, yes, please come in, please come in. And she like kind of like pulls the door open for you and her to walk through. I walk through after Jamie. I smile at the housekeeper, not overtly friendly, just friendly enough to where I am not presenting myself as stern. And you see that what you're standing in is kind of like a foyer right now, where it's like a, it's kind of like a circular room. And you see like there's this table that's in the middle. I wouldn't even really call it a table. It's almost like an end table. And it's wood and it's like mahogany and it has like this circular top and it has like these four legs that seem to be carved almost like in a wavy pattern. They curve at the end, but they still balance the top of this out. And you see on the top, there is almost like this Greek Venetian statue, but it's almost like a replica of one, like a smaller one. And you see that like it's holding a bowl in its hand and there's like water that's coming out of like the bowl a little bit, like it's like the bowl's tilted. And that so the water will go into the bottom of the statue basin that's holding a statue. And then it's like somehow mechanically fed, to, you know, to keep coming out. And it's just you hear this gentle trickle of water. You see that the floors are tile. They are this beautiful pattern of tile that are the base of it is is white cream color. But there's almost like these rust colored brown colored marble swirls that go throughout. It. It's not like a specific pattern, but you see that it kind of just that. That is what is laid along the foray. You see in the corner, or well, it's a circular room, but you see like in the northeast and northwest, 
you see that there's like plants and these large bosses that are probably like three or four feet tall. And you see that they have like these beautiful Venetian scenes that are like painted on them. And you see like in these tall vases that there's, it's almost like brambles that are like put in there, like fashionable brambles, you know, like sticks that come out that, that smell cinnamon and that smell of like, of like fall time. And you assume that these are probably replaced depending on the time of the year or the season. You see that along the left and right, there are stairs that kind of go up, but they go up in different directions. So they don't go up and they, to meet in the middle. They go up and then one looks like it goes to a hall on the left and the other looks like it goes to the hall on the right. When you look to the left, before those steps, you see there's a dining area and you can kind of make out a large table. To the right, you can kind of see it looks like a little like sitting room. And then you see that there's this door that's right in front of you. And you see the lady who you assume her name is Isabel goes, Oh, oh, please wait one second. And she, this Isabel lady looks like she might be Hispanic or uh, uh, of some kind of ethnicity. You can't really tell, but from South America, definitely she looks to be shorter and kind of maybe in her forties. She looks to be a little bit like overweight, but not too much, but you can see like the hard work kind of like keeps her somewhat in shape. And you see, she walks into the study area and then you hear kind of like some murmuring and then you hear someone else come through the room. And this lady looks to be, I don't want to say it like Jamie because that's kind of like a disservice, but she looks to be more professional, more of like a an assistant type of person. And she's wearing like black slacks and she has like this really like fashionable white blouse that kind of has like ruffles on the end of it. And she has like auburn hair and it's kind of like cut short to the middle of her back, but it's kind of like stylish in a way, you know, that's a Tom kind of feathered. And she's very energetic. And she's like, oh, yes, you're here. Um, hold on, yeah, come with me. And she goes, walks forward to the stri- the door that's straight ahead of you. And when she opens up this door, you see this large room, which you assume to be almost like a living room in a, in a weird way. And you see that it has like this large TV that's, that's sitting on this TV stand. And behind that are these large arcing windows that are behind it. And you can see a view of the lake from these windows you see like sectional couches that are like a velvet kind of like a black velvet kind of color you see in this room it's hardwood floors that are in this room and you see there's like a big fireplace that's not lit but you see there's also like these large paintings that are along the wall and you could tell they're of italian style of like of like renaissance italian uh, painters or you know some to that extent it feels very like italian in nature and then slowly, she this lady comes in and she's like, hi, hi, how's it going? My name's Rebecca. And she like sticks out her hand to Jamie. And you see Jamie shake her hand, just kind of nod to her curtly. And then she takes her hand. She takes it to you, Marco. And she's like, and Marco, I take it, yes? Yes, it's nice to meet you, Rebecca. And I'll take her hand and he'll he'll probably kind of make like more of a gesture and like kiss her hand or something weird like that. So he'll just like, he'll take her hand kind of very softly and he'll just kiss the top of it and just try <laughs> to look very friendly. And <laughs> are you, are you trying to be sincere about this? Well, it's not sincere, but okay, let's do a charisma. He's trying to be sincere about it. Okay. Yeah. I just want to see the, like, how this plays out. Two successes. Two successes. So you do it and you can see like her skin starts blushing a little bit. And you can see like her lips part. And there's a moment where, where it's like she's looking at you and you can tell she's definitely like attracted to you at the moment. But then slowly she takes her hand away and she looks at Jamie and she's like, you'll need to stay here. Uh, and then she like goes and walks towards 
there's a door at the end of the living room and she opens this door and this door is kind of like, it's weird because you're like, man, that door, what, like, what does that lead to? You know, like, like, is it like a bedroom or it's kind of weird, the placement of this door. And it's like, uh, you see that's another like wooden door, but it's not something that's super fancy. It has like a, like a doorknob on it, obviously, or whatever, but it's just like a door, normal doorknob. You see, she walks towards it and she unlocks this. She pulls out a key and she kind of like unlocks this door and she opens it and she's like, Rita says she'll come by later tonight and she'll find you in this room. Okay. Marco just gives her a nod, doesn't say anything. And smile. you can't you can't really make out too much in the room. You just see kind of like a dim light coming from within it. I kind of wait, just still staring into that dark room, trying to maybe like make out a shape or something, but I'm just waiting. When you're at the door, give me a perception and alertness, please. Difficulty six. Five successes. Holy shit. So when she opens the door, you look and right away, you can tell these are steps. And you can see the light is coming from up the steps. You're able to see that they're concrete steps that go down. And you can smell very, very faintly water, it smells like. It almost smells like river water a little bit. A smell that you're not like super familiar with, but you can sense moisture down there. I'm like thinking to myself, is there like a pool down there, like an indoor pool? Or is there like a some type of grotto underneath the house? He's pretty amazed by the just architecture and design of Rita's place. It's he's blown away by it. It's amazing. And this is just puzzling to him though, because he's like, what, what could possibly be down those stairs? It's just something you don't really see in house design. Exactly. Yeah. So what are you doing? Yeah. I'm just going to start walking, trying to probably hold on to the wall or something as I go down. And when you go down these steps, you see that there's a wood railing that's like bolted into the side of the wall, but it's not really, uh, it almost feels like when you're, when you're touching the sides and you can kind of make it out now because the light, like I said, is coming from some source down these steps and there's about like 20 or 30 steps. You know how like in Midwestern homes, they have cellars sometimes and like the cellars have like that weird like cement rock almost, you know, stone. You feel that as you're going down and that's what you feel along there, but they bolted like a wood handrail on one side so like you can hold it while walking down these steps when you get down to the steps you're really starting to expect like like you said a grotto or you know like something down there but when you go down these steps you look you're like oh and you see that there's like it almost looks like a lounge in a weird way you see like there's like these like antique like couches and chairs that are, are, are along the walls you see that there's like a couple bookshelves that have like some older like definitely older looking books you see that there's a desk with a lamp on there. You see a wardrobe, like a large wardrobe. Like you haven't seen wardrobes like that before. You see that there's, as you look on the floor, you see that it's like stone on the floor, but you see there's this large like rug that has like these gold intricate like designs that are, that are over like a, almost like a sky blue backdrop. You see the walls themselves are stone, though. You know what I mean? Like, like this stuff is down there, but you see stone. Even on the stone, you see, like, tapestries. Like, there's these old tapestries that, like, are kind of, like, going down the wall there that depict, like, different scenes of Italian history or just, like, Italian art. And you see on the other end, there's, like, these double, like, like it's like an arch door, you know, where they're, like, half, you know, like a wooden half door where it looks like an arch and it's closed. And what are you doing? I'm taking in this room. It's so different than the types of rooms I've seen. And that smell of the of the water and 
maybe that wet feeling in the air. I'm trying to figure out still what that's all about. Like he's slowly taking in everything and he's making his way towards that shut door. He's not sure if he should just open it up and go inside. He's not sure if he should knock, but he's walking towards that door, maybe just to see if he hears anything on the other end. He's actually going to just start to open it. So you go up to this door. Give me perception alertness roll again. Difficulty six when you go up to it. Five successes again. Wow. On fire. So when you walk up to this door, you see, as you get close, you see that like there's these two like metal handrails that are or metal handles that are on the side. And they're not just like curved, but they all they have like these designs that go about them. Like as you're looking at them, they kind of like curve like normal handles, but at the end they edge out. So it's almost like a W shape kind of almost. But you see the ends of these handles. There's almost looks like faces that are stuck in a grimace or a scream. They look like they're kind of like melt, they're iron, but they melt into the handles almost in a weird way. And you see like there's no lock on it that you can tell, right? And you see this wood is old wood, but you could sense its thickness. You could sense its age. Like you touch it and you can just like feel the history that is behind this wood. And you go and you put your hand, hand on these handles and you go to pull and they do not budge whatsoever. And you can hear for a second. You can like try to pull, pull. And then you put, you kind of listen a little bit and you just hear this soft, like, like, like almost like a draft that goes through the. This is really a strange place that I'm in right now. Marco's thinking maybe I should just hang back in here, act like he never went near the door. If somebody comes down, he can just. Uh, I wasn't touching it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't touch anything. I've just been. Uh, but yeah, he's I mean, he's definitely the type of person that would snoop around if nobody was if he was unobserved, he totally would just be snooping around and stuff. Do you want to snoop around? He he's going to. Yeah, he'll try. Since he can't go through the doors, he's yeah. just going to, I mean, he's going to keep his hands in his pockets. He's not going to. Oh, so you're doing like the casual, like walk I around. Walk and kind around, of like, look at stuff. If yeah. he does touch something, he's just going to like, like maybe pick up something and look at it and put it back down and just kind of, but he doesn't want to be rifling through anything. He doesn't want to be disrespectful. And obviously he doesn't want to be caught either. So what is Marco wearing right now? We haven't even asked that. I, I can imagine the scene where like Marco's like walking around, like looking at this bookshelf, looking at these old Italian name of these books. Like what is he wearing right now? So Marco is wearing a very light gray suit. It's a nicer suit. It's nothing flashy, nothing shiny. He likes to wear dull colors, blacks, grays, occasionally wears navy and stuff like that. Um, he's wearing just the suit. It's unbuttoned and he has a white dress shirt underneath tucked in no tie or anything like that. Kind of like a more casual look that he usually wears on a day to day. So like the blazer is, is unbuttoned and open and he'll usually just walk around with his hands in his pockets of his slacks. And he wears these kind of higher end Italian leather shoes. They're still very, very straightforward. There's nothing ornate about anything that he wears. Even his watch is nothing flashy. And he has these glasses that he wears. They're kind of circular frame and they're, they do make him look more of like an academic type individual. His hair is really curly, a little bit longer for men's hair, but not long hair. It's something that he combs backwards, but you can still see how wavy it is. And it's kind of just like something he's always trying to fight with 
just pushing his his hair back and it's so wavy that it's always trying to fight its way back forward so as you spend about like five or ten minutes looking around just kind of poking around looking you hear this sound come from behind those doors and it sounds like this muffled like and it kind of vibrates a little bit how loud is it um it's definitely loud enough to like where you heard it but you don't think anyone like you know what i mean upstairs could hear it but you could hear echo through whatever's behind that door yeah i stopped doing what i'm doing and i try to just stand in the center of the room with my hands in my pockets waiting for whatever's going to come out the other side of the door hoping it's rita <laughs> you wait for about a minute and then you slowly start hearing a rattle behind the door and then the door opens Gently but forcefully, if that makes a sense. And you see standing before you, Rita. She has this very thin silk white robe, but it's damp. And it almost seems to meld into her pale stone-like skin. You can see how the paleness of her skin, that almost makes her look like marble from which a statue has been sculpted makes the darkness of her pubic area and of her nipples seem to even come out stronger through this thin white silk robe that she has on. And she's looking straight at you. And you can see her short hair is wet, but her face seems to almost not absorb any of the dampness like her hair has. And you can see these large brown eyes that stare at you. And she has these luscious, thick lips. Her features are angular, almost like yours. It looks almost like she was given the gift right at the moment, the precipice of her going from the youth to the age of experience. Like they caught her right at that moment where all axes connected in the human life catch her at her absolute best. She stands about five foot seven which i believe is shorter than you and there's a moment where she's just staring at you and you feel this otherness about her and it reminds you of that year that you spent with her in venice and she looks at you for a little bit longer and she says go to my wardrobe bring to me what is hanging there so without a word i go over to her wardrobe and i fetch what she's asking for marco is extremely intimidated by rita even after this year that they spent together Seeing her, first of all, he's not surprised that she's naked because, or not naked, that she's exposed because she's always been so unashamed. And she taught him to be unashamed as well. And it's so comforting when he actually sees her. All of this fear, all of this anxiety he had about this moment just sort of disappears when she arrives into the room and her presence just completely engulfs Marco. Every time he sees her, it's kind of like he's he feels like this sense of amazement. What what amazes him about her? For one, her beauty. Another would just be the way that she presents herself, the power that she has just in her appearance alone, just in her her beauty and her strength. Also, just what she has for herself as far as material wealth, her impeccable taste and design in her house. He just really maybe kind of envies her. He doesn't see himself, obviously, as being on her level at all. But maybe 
maybe someday. But he's just actually really amazed by even just seeing her. And when she gives him a command, he feels compelled to just follow. And so he's getting her her clothes and he's just walking over and handing them back to her. When you hand her your clothes, a swarm of memories comes through your head. And you remember one of the evenings that you were in Venice and you were stepping out of an opera that you had seen with her and she was handing you a mask. This mask was like the Venetian style where it kind of covered the top part from your nose up and it was kind of bedazzled with jewels of purple and green and agua. And I had like this bright blue feather that was attached to the side of it. And she, 28 years ago, she handed this to you and she said, put it on and come with me. As she put one on, that was kind of similar, but it had like a agua feather, but they were very similar. And you went out into the crowd of all these people that were milling about. It was right after an opera and there's people that are just kind of talking and you're walking amongst them. You had only been of the blood for about three months at this point. And she looks at you during this and you can see her brown eyes through the mask. And she's like, how does it make you feel? to walk amongst these people and then not seeing your face. I've always walked among people and they've never seen my face. So you've hidden a part of who you are. I have. Why? Perhaps I was ashamed. Perhaps I was scared. What are you scared of? What were you scared of? I don't remember anymore. I no longer feel it. Were you scared of acceptance, of being shunned? And Marco thinks back to Claudio Silvano, he starts to think about how things could be if this played out differently. What if Silvano had gone ahead and brought him over instead? What if he was never able to learn the truth about his origin? He thinks about how lucky he actually is, and he doesn't feel afraid anymore. And he thinks back to the way that he lived his life before this, and he feels shame that he ever hid, that he ever pretended for people that he shouldn't have. And part of him regrets the pain that he's caused others. And then part of him doesn't. At this night in Venice, she extends her hand out to you right after she asked you that, as if she wants you to take her hand. I, of course, do. And she pulls you next to her, that hand that you took. She takes and puts it around your shoulder and she taps someone on the shoulder and that's in front of you. And there's, Someone turns around, it's a lady, and you can see she has this mask on, but her mask is like a pink mask. And that has these like clear, like jewels, like, you know, they're not real jewels that go around it, but you can see her lips and you can see she kind of has like a olive color skin. And you see this dark hair that goes down back behind her. She looks maybe she like she's 50 years old or four, in her 40s. And there's a moment, a chilly moment where you see Rita's looking at her and Rita's like, come follow me and my companion. And you see the ladies like for a second is like, okay. And she just breaks off from these people she was talking to and follows you and Rita as you guys walk about three blocks away. What are you feeling at this moment when you see this like lady is like following you and Rita as Rita's kind of guiding you along? A little bit nervous, but mostly excited. And you see as she walks up past these touristy stands that aren't manned at the moment at this, at this part of the evening and walks into like this kind of like enclosure that looks like it might be like a little alley and Rita turns around and tells 
this lady lean against that wall. And you see this lady go and she like stands against this wall. And she's like, Rita says, tell my friend Marco your most intimate, deepest personal secret. And she's speaking in Italian, of course, while this is going on. And the lady responds in Italian. I have been in love with my college roommate my whole life. Her and I had a romance throughout college, but I ended it afterwards knowing that it was a sin against the church. And you see Rita goes and gently puts her finger on this woman's lip. It's like, shh. And Rita that turns and looks at you and she's like, what do you think? What are you thinking right now, Marco? Marco is amazed. He's not sure what Rita is trying to do, but to just see her command a person into being vulnerable, he's just absolutely amazed. He's not even sure what to say. I would say that he's maybe even silent, just staring at the lady. A, a huge smile just begins to grow on his face as she shares her secret, this painful secret. She goes, how does it make you feel to hear that secret? Does it bring you joy? I, I, Marco feels maybe the, one of the best moments he's ever felt. This brings him so much more pleasure than the pain he inflicted on others and had others inflict on him. This is something so much more real. This is something that people don't just share. This is something that was just pulled out. And he's just, that was amazing. He smiles at you. Can you make her say more? And she's like, just watch. And she turns. She says to this lady in Italian again, she's like, are you married? And the lady's like, yes. She's like, do you have children? And she's like, yes. She's like, tell me about them. And she's like, I have a 20-year-old son and an 18-year-old daughter. And I've been married to my husband for 22 years. And Rita nods. And she's like, you're going to leave this alley. You're going to find a phone. And you're going to call your husband. And you're going to tell him who you are truly in love with. You're going to end your marriage and you're going to find the love of your life wherever she may be. But before you go find her, tomorrow evening, you're going to go back to where I found you and you're going to stand there until he, and she nods to you, finds you. And you're going to tell him how that phone call went. Do you understand? And she's like, yes, yes. She's like, go, enjoy the rest of your evening. And the lady, go ahead. As she walks away to the phone, Marco is just standing there. His jaw just begins to, his mouth is just wide open and he just starts to laugh hysterically. He just can't control it. He never has laughed like this in his life. And he's just laughing so hard. He's down on his knees. He's trying to, he's trying to gain control of himself again. He's getting to the point where his eyes are watering up with these droplets of blood and he's just just laughing hysterically he's so amazed at what rita just did he's so amazed that somebody could just be putty in her hands and he just loves what just happened when you're laughing you you feel a hand reach upon your shoulder that gently tries to bring you up and she's like look at me marco and there's like i'm sure there's like blood tears kind of like going down your eyes she's like freedom brings joy Does it not, you are feeling joy because of what you saw her do, what you saw her be exposed with. And part of me thinks you wish you had that freedom. So there are two choices when it comes to your new existence, Marco. You can hold on to that which burdened you before and not let it shame you, or you can let what burdened you before go and find your new existence. Tomorrow evening, 
you're going to find her and you can do what you wish with her. But for now, I must go enjoy the city. I don't know when I'll find you again, but just remember this lesson that I've taught you. Okay. And she turns and walks off. And for the rest of that night, Marco walked the streets with a sense of joy and purpose. He was practically dancing down the alleys and the streets, still just thinking and laughing at just how much worse and how much better he made that person's life. And just contemplating the meaninglessness and the beauty of just everything. And he feels amazing for the first time in a while. Whatever happened to that girl? Did you ever go back there that next night and find that lady? He went back the next night. He found her to see what had become of her and her family or to see what had happened because of the steps she was beginning to take. He probably furthered her on a path to ruin. And when something bad happened, just washed his hands of it completely. He doesn't care. He, Rita taught him that people are basically to be used. And I mean, she didn't put it that bluntly to him, but that's basically what he took away from what she showed him. And as that memory slowly fades away, she has taken the clothes from you that you handed her. If you enjoyed Eidolon, I highly recommend checking out Juarez on Fire. It's another of our Vampire the Masquerade games set in 1942 following the Pale Riders. Like Eidolon, Juarez on Fire highlights another faction of Vampire the Masquerade, showing the complex relationships and requirements needed to be a part of the Sabbat.